Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. My name's Ryan. I have the honor of serving here as lead pastor, and I'm excited about today because uh, we're going to talk about a topic out of Psalm 34, so you can kind of begin to make your way there. Um, we're going to begin, we're going to talk about um, a topic today um, that was really transformational in my own life and my own journey uh, with the Lord. I'm going to explain why here in just a little bit, but I, I don't know if you've ever kind of been in a place or a season um, in your life that, that didn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, like you kind of felt like um, you knew that there was more, you knew that there was better, but what you're experiencing right now isn't it, right? And you kind of get stuck into the, in this place, in the season of, of not really knowing what the end is going to look like. Well, if that's you, or if you've ever been there or think you might ever be there, uh, this message is for you today. So we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 34, and uh, we're going to really focus in on verses 1 through 8 today. And I want to talk to you from uh, this title, What to Do in Your Not Yet Season. What to do in your not yet season. Hey, um, uh, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's blessing uh, over our time uh, together today. Say this out loud with me with your best voice. Father, as I open your word today, speak to me. May I have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's kind of drop into Psalm 34. The writer of Psalm 34 is David. You've probably heard of David. He's the, he's the guy that killed Goliath, the big giant. Uh, whether you've, this is the first time you've ever stepped foot in church or you've been in church all your life, you're probably a little bit familiar with that story. But, but in Psalm 34, David is, um, he's in a cave and he's on the run. He's on the run from King Saul. And the reason why he's on the run from King Saul is because King Saul was the anointed king of Israel, but he began to turn away from God. He began to go make decisions, move. His heart was turning from God. And so God decided to choose or anoint another king. And that person was David. Now here's where David is in a really unique situation in Psalm 34 is David has been anointed by God to be king, but he's not appointed yet to be king. You see the difference? He's been anointed, but he's not yet appointed. I call this the not yet season. It's the season in our life where we know there's more. We know that God's stern. We know that God's speaking some things to us. We know that there's a lot of promises in his word about what our life can look like and will look like, but we aren't there yet. And I don't know about you, but the longer we are in those not yet seasons, right, the more we can tend to grow discouraged. The more we can begin to question whether God's really real or is he really working in our life. And, and so David finds himself in this unique situation in a cave running for his life. Now, here's what I find kind of interesting. If you back up just a little bit, and if you want to this week to kind of understand a little bit more of the picture of the story of what's happening 
out of Psalm 34. You can go back to 1 Samuel chapter uh, 21 and 22, and you can kind of read um, through that a little bit. It'll kind of unpack um, this moment for, for David. But um, what's interesting about David is that, you know, yes, he recognizes that, uh, that Saul is out to kill him, that uh, he's got to run for his life, but he does something... Um, he goes to a place that um, wouldn't really make a lot of sense for us. He decides, hey, I've got to find a place that Saul can't find me. And so he decides to go to Gath, which I don't know if you know what Gath is, but that is Goliath's hometown. Have you ever been in a not yet season, right? And you made a decision in the middle of that not yet season that turned out to be more painful and hurtful than helpful, right? Well, this is what, this is kind of what David does. He's trying to escape Saul. He ends up going to a place where he thinks Saul will never find him. And for whatever reason, he decides that he wants to go rolling up into Goliath's hometown. And when he gets there, it doesn't go so well for him. And I want us to, I want us to look at this um, in 1 Samuel chapter 21 because what he does when he realizes that, you know what, maybe me going to Goliath's hometown was not so good of an idea. What he does is so epic. It is so epic that I've got to share this with you because it gives a little bit of context about where we're going in Psalm 34. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 21, Verse 12, that David, so he's in Gath, right? And David begins to hear these comments. What are the comments? It's all the, the negative kind of chatter that's happening of what's this guy doing here? What, who does he think he is? Like all this kind of negative chatter and was very afraid of what the king of Gath might do to him. So in verse 13, it says, so he pretended, look at this, <laughs> he pretended to be insane. <laughs> King David, the warrior that killed Goliath, he decides, hey, maybe I should just act like I'm insane. He starts scratching on all the doors and drooling all over himself. And watch this in verse 14, it says, finally, the king said to his men, so saying to the other Philistines, like, must you be bringing a madman? Like, we already have enough of those people here in our town, and you got to bring more? And he says, why should I let someone like this be my guest? And so here David is, like, he's, he's been anointed by God to be king, but he's not yet appointed to be king he ends up utterly humiliating himself to get out of a situation that he created, right? And now he's got to run and he's got to find refuge somewhere. And so he picks this cave called the Cave of Dulem. Now this cave, I got a picture up here. This is the, this is the actual cave. Isn't that cool? That some of the biblical um, landmarks are still in existence today. That this is the actual cave. And so he decides he's got he's to get away. So this cave is a couple miles from where he went, where he put Goliath down, right? It's about 12 miles from Bethlehem. And so he kind of slips into this cave and then here's the inside of what the cave looks like. And so you can kind of picture, right? 
Picture David slipping into this cave, trying to find refuge in his not yet season because of some decisions that he had personally made. Can you imagine what he had to be thinking and feeling in this moment? Like he's in this cave, sitting on a rock, it's dark, it's musty smelling, right? It's probably, who. It's prob- I don't know, it may be cold, like I love this cold because it's hot outside, I don't know. But he's in this place, in this cave, he had to be wrestling with some emotions of what am I going to do in this not yet season? It makes me think of this verse in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Have you ever been in one of those seasons where it's like you keep hoping, you keep believing that something's going to change, that it's going to be different, that you have this sense on the inside that God has spoken something to you, that he's revealed something to you in his word, but you keep hoping and week after week goes by, year after year goes by and nothing ever changes The Bible says that when we're in that kind of season of our life, that we can get actually physically sick and nauseous because we have this hope, this expectation of what's going to happen in our life, but we keep hanging out in the not yet season. And I don't know about you, but I've been in plenty of those in my life. And I know how discouraging It can be in those seasons. And so how does David respond? Like, how does he navigate this not yet season in his own life where where he knows that he is anointed to be king, that he's looking at King Saul and he's like, that's my position, but it's just not my position yet. And yet he's running for his life, stuck in a nasty old cave where nobody really knows where he is. What does he do to be able to keep a right attitude? What does he do to keep from having his passion for life and his purpose for living stolen? This is what he does. He worships. Hold on a second. I thought, I thought worship was only when God does something good in our life, right? Isn't that the response? Like we only worship when we're celebrating. Well, he's already paid the bill. Like he's already like got our house back or whatever. Like I thought that's what worship was all about. Well, I think David would show us a little different. I think David would show us in Psalm 34 that there is an importance to worship not just in a celebration or thankfulness of what he's done, but to produce the right heart and the right attitude to keep us focused on the main thing so that we can get through our not yet seasons. Here's what I believe David understood. And I think it's something that all of us in our life and our journey with God that we have to understand if we're ever gonna make it through our not yet season. He understood that for us to rely on God's strength, that we have to get in to God's presence. 
Like, don't be fooling yourself. Like I, I prayed today and I asked God to give me strength, but I'm just going to go on, do my own thing. I'm going to go out to the club, to the bar. Like I got church checked off for Sunday and God's going to give me strength through this season. Like, don't be fooling yourself. Like God's, uh, uh, David is like in Psalm 34, like if you're going to rely on God's strength, then you've got to get into his presence to get it. And so here we see David in a cave, sitting on a rock, pulls out his pad of, of paper, his scroll or whatever it is that he, I don't think he's got a tablet, but hey, maybe. In the midst of uncertainty, look what he begins to write. Starting in verse one, he says that, he says, I, I will praise the Lord at all times. Oh, he's in a cave running for his life. And he doesn't say, I might praise like if the conditions change. <laughs> He's, he's making a decision that I will praise the Lord at all times. That I will, what is he going to do? He's going to constantly do it. Not just on Sunday from 10 to 1030, 1035 if the spirit flows, right? <laughs> no, he's not saying, he's saying constantly, like when I go to work, when I come home, when I wake up in the morning, that I'm constantly going to be speaking his praises, that I'm going to boast only, <laughs> that I'm going to boast only in the Lord. And then he says, let all who are helpless take heart. You know what I find interesting in these two verses, and, and we can leave it up on the screen what I find interesting about this that I want to unpack for a little bit, and I'm going to spend most of my time here, so don't think because we're going all the way to verse 8 that I'm going to spend all this time getting to verse 8. We're going to hang out here for the majority of the time. But what I find interesting about these two verses is that in the Old Testament, there are seven words for praise. Each one of these words for praise represent kind of a characteristic of praise. Does that make sense? It's like, it's like each word for praise has its own room in the house of praise, okay? And so in these two verses, he uses three of the seven words for praise. The first one we see that I will praise, that word praise in the Hebrew is barak, that I'm gonna praise the Lord at all times. This, this word in the Hebrew means to bow. Now watch this. It means to bow, yes, physically bow, but in the Bible, it's more commonly used to describe the sacrifice that people would make when they gave something of value to somebody else. Think about that for just a moment. David is saying that I'm gonna praise, right? I'm gonna bow, I'm gonna give something of myself of value to somebody else, to God. Now, why would David, why would David use that word? There's other words that he could have used. Why would that be so important to him sitting over here on a rock 
worshiping God. I think it's because David understood that the posture of our heart is more important than the posture of our body. Like he understood, like it's one thing to kind of do whatever and worship and all that stuff. Like we can, we can do whatever and we're, I've been around church long enough that I've seen people rev up the engine and worship, right? And they get going and then they're out like partying and clubbing and, 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 hang, and all the stuff. Like I've seen it. I've been around the block plenty of times. I think what David is saying here is that there is this, this form of, of praise unto God where it's self-sacrifice sacrificing, right? It's not about me and it's not about God. If you're going to fix my situation, it's about despite my situation, whether it works out the way that I want it to work out or it doesn't, like I'm going to bow myself. I'm going to offer something of value to you, God. And what do you value the most? My worship. And David is thinking like as he's writing and, 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 and singing that, that, that if I'm gonna get out of my not yet season, that I've got to have this kind of praise that lowers myself and elevates God. Now, I want you to notice what it, what it doesn't say in that first statement. It doesn't say, God does, or, or David doesn't say that I will give God my worship, right? As long as the acoustics in the cave are to my liking. <laughs> it, it doesn't say, David doesn't say like, I will, I will praise you, Lord, as long as this rock doesn't poke me in the wrong places or the temperature in here is okay. Like he, he doesn't list these set of, 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 of elements or parameters that have to be checked off in order for him to be able to worship. Like, like he's not really concerned about the song. He's not really concerned about the volume. He's not really concerned about the, the length of worship. He's not really concerned about whether everything in his life is going the way that, that he planned for it to go. He's not really concerned about whether this kind of worship in this moment fits his personality or not, right? <laughs> Like that's not David at all. Like David in the middle of his not yet season is like, I'm gonna bow down, I'm gonna self-sacrifice. It's not gonna be about me, it's gonna be about you, God. I had, I had a moment early on in me following the Lord. I had been, um, I had accepted Christ into my heart. If you're new here, I didn't grow up in church. Like you can think like really bad life. And then mine was probably twice that. Like it wasn't the worst. People have worse testimonies than me, but mine was pretty bad. And I had an encounter with God when I was 20 years old that radically changed my life. Now, it radically changed my life, not because I decided, yeah, I'm going to kind of go wishy-washy with God. I was all in with the world. Anybody ever been all in with the world? I was all in with the world. And then God transformed my life and I decided I'm going to be all in for God. And that began this journey of transformation in my life. All right. A year into this journey, the college that I was going to um, was a Christian college 
And we had these chapel services that would happen several times through the week. And I remember being in the chapel services. I'd been saved for about a year. I mean, I was just on fire for God. I mean, I was just, I'd lock myself in the room with my worship music. I mean, that was back. I had a little bit of Darlene Check and Clint Brown going on in that place. Like it was good stuff. And I would just get lost in worship. And then I would go to these chapel services and they would be singing the older songs and no shade on the older stuff. But it just wasn't in my age genre, right? And, and I'd get so frustrated. Like I'd be in the service, in the worship service, and they're singing and I'm just like, I'm in there and all I could think about is, why won't you sing the good songs, right? And I'm like, I'm like, dude, all you gotta do is amp up Clint, um, Clint Brown, uh, surround me up in this house, and man, it's gonna just, boom, it's gonna explode. And, and I'm just like, I'm wrestling with all this, and I'm in these services, and I just got the nastiest attitude, right? And I remember sitting down with my grandfather and, um, at his kitchen table, and my grandfather had been a pastor for a long time, and, um, and sitting down and just kind of gleaning from him about what life as being a follower of Christ should look like. And, and I remember sitting down and I, I was sharing with him my frustration of the songs that were happening in the chapel services and just telling him, man, it could be so much better if this would happen and this would happen. And, um, and he just looks at me. And my goal was to try to get him on my side, right? <laughs> How many know that's what we do when we complain? We're trying to get people on our side. And I'm there trying to get grandpa on my side. And he looks at me and he says, Ryan, if you need your song to worship, then you have no idea what true worship is. He said, Ryan, it's not about you. It's about him. He said, Ryan, you need to find something, whether it's your song or not, you need to find something to worship God for in the moment. And friend, it changed my life. It changed my life. So instead of all the rest of the years, me being all focused about how it can feed me and what I want, it was all about, you know, I'm just going to be in the atmosphere and whether I like it or not, I'm going to exalt the name of Jesus. It transformed my life. And so David is like, it's like, listen, not only am I going to worship God in this self-sacrificing kind of way, and not only am I going to do this at all times, not just on Sundays, but I'm also going to constantly speak your praises. This word praises in this part of the verse is Tehillah. And here's what it means. It means to publicly sing. Now, this isn't the kind of worship, the kind of praise, that shy, kind of wimpy praise, like, like, like I'm, I'm going to sing, but I, I just don't want my neighbor to hear me because I might be off tune. Or I'm going to raise my hands, but, you know, that funny, like, video about the worship and it's like the different, like, positions that Pentecostal churches, like, that's hilarious. Um, but it's not like I'm going to be in here, like, you know, holding the TV or whatever, whatever the thing is. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is a passionate, it is a heartfelt, 
It is a holy roar kind of praise that David is talking about here. Like, like, I don't know if you've noticed it, but we've got our own Tehillah kind of section in this church. It's like right over here. Let's go. Let's go. I love it. I love it. We talk about you guys all the time in staff meeting. We're like, man, we could hear it from the other side. Like, like it is a, it's a holy roar. It's a, it's a passion for what God has done and is doing. And, and then he goes on and he says this, like I a self-sacrificing kind of way. I'm going to, I'm going to worship God passionately. But he says also, I'm going to boast, but I'm going to boast only in the Lord. And this word boast is in the original language is one of those praise, one of those seven praise words. And I never knew this. Um, I never knew this until this week when I was studying this passage. And what I didn't realize is that this word boast, what it means is to shine or accentuate or to emphasize. Now stick with me for a second. What do you think David is trying to say in this moment? I think he's trying to say, listen, in my not yet season, when I've got plenty of stuff, plenty of problems, plenty of issues that I can choose to shine or emphasize in my life, the choice that I'm choosing to make is that I'm going to only emphasize on the Lord. That should be revelation to all of us. Like think about, think about the not yet season. Think about the times in your life that it's just not, man, it's not going, it's not, nothing's changing. It's like as much as you're believing, you're working hard, you're trying to make it happen and it just keeps going and going and going. And what David is saying here is don't spend your time emphasizing and focusing on placing your shine, your praise shine on your problems in the situations, but put it on God. I mean, David had plenty of problems, right? I mean, he could have sat in that cave and he could have put his shine on his emphasis on, on the fact that he was forced to leave his hometown. He could put the shine on the fact that he's running for his life, that he had to totally humiliate himself to be able to get away. I mean, and, and think about it. He could have put his shine on the fact of where he's living right now. Like this guy's not living in a palace yet. This guy's in a dark, nasty, old, smelly old cave. And who's he got rolling with him? Like, he ain't got the best of the best that's rolling with him. Like, if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 22, it tells us that he's got a bunch of these, like, unlucky guys that had nowhere better to go. And they chose, hey, let's go hang out with David in the cave. <laughs> and that's why in that last part of verse 2, that's why David says, let all who are helpless take heart is because in that moment, sitting on that rock in a cave with all of these not good enough people around him, he looks at all of them and he says, listen, let all of you who are helpless, all of you that are wondering in life, all of you that have lost your hope, let all of you take 
heart. I mean, not many people would have blamed David in that moment if he just sat down in the cave and focused on all the disorder and the disaster and dysfunction that was all around him. But David knew that if he was going to rely on God's strength, that he had to get into God's presence. Now watch this. David shifts now. He's got this moment, these couple of verses, this moment where it's like him and God. And then all of a sudden he shifts and he's on the rock. I can picture him on the rock, all these like nobodies that are sitting around him. And I don't know if you've noticed in the Bible, but, but, uh, God's more interested in using nobodies than somebody's like, like, I don't know about you, but I was a nobody. And God decided, hey, I'm going to call this man and I'm going I'm to I'm empower him as he says yes to me to do way more than he could ever imagine. And that's what he wants to do in all of our lives. Like I don't look at the, cave, the fact that he's surrounded by nobodies in the cave as something to, to be negative. I look at it as God's getting ready to break out in these guys' lives and they don't even know it yet. And I could see David sitting on the rock. And he's looking at all of these guys that are around him and he begins to invite them into a better life, a better way of, of living. And he says this in verse three, he says, come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness, encouraging these guys. David understood that the only way to trust God with our future was to lean on his faithfulness in the past. And so here he is, he looks at this group of misfits in the cave with him and he says, let us exalt his name together. Church, there is power in exalting his name together. Like, I don't know if you've ever been alone in your car or house and you're trying to exalt and then you get into a room with people that are of a similar kind of mindset. Nobody's life is perfect, but they've decided we're going to exalt the Lord together. And all of a sudden things begin to break off of you, depression, like fear and anxiety. There is just something about the power of exalting the Lord together. That's why, listen, if you're sick, if you're sick or immune compromised and you need to be at home watching, um, watching the service online, that's totally fine. But listen, that's not your destination in life is behind a screen on a couch all by yourself trying to do this life alone. Like there is power, there's fellowship, there, there's something about coming together and finding encouragement from one another and exalting God together. And here's what, here's what I love about this part. This word exalt, it means to magnify, to magnify. Now, I know that's not a word that we kind of throw out a whole lot in our day, magnify. Um, but did any of anybody remember, like it's probably more my age or younger, but um, those magnifying glasses, you know, had the handle and it had the, um, man, we used to burn up. We used to burn up so many things with those magnifying glasses back in the day, right? Like watching those ants and the bugs, like letting the sun go through that. And it just, man, it was, <laughs> it was awesome. 
But here's what a magnifying glass does is it enlarges what it's focused on, right? The thing itself doesn't get bigger. It doesn't change. Like the bug never changed. It was the same size. But my ability to see the bug changed. And what David is getting at in this moment as he's writing this out and he's talking about exalting the name of God together, he's like, let's magnify. Like we can, there's nothing we can do to make God any bigger or any greater, but there is something that we can do to help our ability to see him be greater. And let's lift him up. Let's magnify him. Let's, let's, let's take the perspective and the understanding that he is way bigger than our problem. And let's magnify him together. And David then looks at these guys in verse four. And he says this, while in this amazing atmosphere of the cave, and I can just sense like the presence of God moving in the cave. And he says, he says, listen, guys, I prayed to the Lord. And look what happened in that moment, in that atmosphere of, of worship, when I, when I magnified God and I began to pray and to, to, now that I've come through this moment of lifting God up and laying myself down and it being all about him and not hiding behind my personality or whatever, I'm an introvert. I know it don't look like it, but I've had a lot of energy drinks today, but um, <laughs> I'm an introvert. But I've decided in my life from the very beginning that I wasn't going to allow my personality to dictate my worship to God. And David is like, listen, when we're in this not yet season where it seems like nothing is changing, like as we elevate God, as we, as we live, we worship him in a way that it's not about us. It's about him. And as we begin to use our mouth to worship and to praise and begin to exalt him and recognize that he's bigger than anything that we're currently walking through in our life, that in that atmosphere, he says, as I began to pray, he answered me and he freed me of all my fears. Notice here that the situation didn't change. But what he's saying is, is that the fear and the worry and the anxiety and the doubt that those things were no longer calling the shots in his life. And then I love this part. He says, he says, when you worship God in the self-sacrificing way and when you're passionate about your worship, when, when, when that holy roar began, you began to let loose of that, that roar because of your gratitude of, of all God has done in your life. And when you began to emphasize God instead of your problem, and when you allow your perspective to begin to change and you quit focusing on the negative and focusing on the eternal, and allow God to fear to free you of your fears, this is what David says happens in your life. In verse five, that those who look to him for help, they will be radiant with joy. Radiant with joy. You know what that means? It means I can walk into a room and the presence of God can be so alive in my life and shining through my life. It doesn't mean that my life is perfect. 
It means that he is perfect and I get that. I think the radiance of the Lord upon us is a litmus test. I think it's a litmus test to help us understand today that if we're here and we don't have this radiance of the Lord upon us in the midst of our not yet season, then maybe we're not praising God. Maybe we're not being self-sacrificing enough. Maybe we're not elevating him enough with our praise and with our worship. Like maybe we're not exalting him above all of our problems. And because we allow all of that stuff to dictate our life and to influence our life and to bog down the, the 95% of what we're thinking through the week that it just reduces the glow. It reduces the radiance in our life. And David is like, guys, don't you know, this is a guy who is anointed, but not appointed yet. And he's like, don't you know that when you began to worship God, when you begin to do it in such a way that it's not about you and it's not about your situation, but it's about him. And all of a sudden, God begins to do some work inside of us that moves from the gut to the face. And all of a sudden we can walk into a room and we can be radiant with the presence and the anointing and the peace of God in our life despite the situation. And David says in this moment, he says, when you're there, when his radiance is all over you, that there's no shadow of shame that will darken your face. There's no pit of despair or depression that will rule your life. David says, guys, in my desperation, like guys, my life wasn't perfect. I didn't make all the right choices and I'm still in my not yet season, but in my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened and he saved me from all of my troubles. And I love this for the angel of the Lord is a guard that surrounds and defends anyone in this cave that chooses to fear or worship the Lord. And then <laughs> my favorite part, David with this kind of newfound strength on a rock in a cave and is not yet seasoned, anointed, but not appointed. I believe he began to look across the faces of the men that were in the cave. And I believe that as he, as this word began, this revelation word began to rise up from the inside of him and began to come out of his mouth, that he probably had a little, even a little bit of a shake to it. And he said, he looked at these guys and he said this in verse eight, oh, taste and see. <laughs> Oh, taste. Hey guys, I know your life's not right. I know, I know that you don't know what, where to go, what step to take, what decision to make. I know there's a lot of doubts in the situation and the season, but oh, taste and see that 
the Lord is good. And he says, oh, the joys. It's like, oh, guys, if you ever could come to a place where you fully understand, oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. I think of it kind of like this, like when I take Andrea to a really nice restaurant and we sit down at the table, she gets her food and she takes that first bite. I don't know if any of you do this. She takes that bite, she starts chewing, she's like, mmm. <laughs> Anybody else do that? And she's like, mmm. I'm always like, what's going on? And then she takes another bite, mmm. And I'm like, hey, can't you eat that a little quieter? And she's like, oh, this is good stuff right here. This is good stuff right here. And David's like, David's like, guys. He's like, guys, I can only do what I can do to try to explain the goodness of God and how he can transform your life, but at the end of the day, any explanation that I give will always fall short. He's like, guys, you've got to taste and see for yourself. Friend, we can be around God all we want. But it's not God around us that makes the difference. It's God inside of us. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're far from God. Maybe you've made a lot of choices and decisions like King Saul did. You get kind of away from God and you kind of sense God's hand starting to, to, to pull off of you. Or maybe you're here today and maybe Maybe you love God, maybe, maybe even make the fellowship of coming together and worshiping together a priority in your schedule, but, but everything about your worship is about you. It's about your personality and your comfort zone. And you're cool with God as long as God doesn't ask you to do something like that you don't wanna do, like you're cool. My question to you today is what kind of life is that? What kind of life is it to play it safe with God and to receive this amazing gift of salvation and never reciprocate our appreciation? Like, do, you, do we really think that God made the hardest decision of his eternal life to give up his one and only son? And do we really think that Jesus endured all of what he endured to go stretch his arms out on a cross for us to live a life about ourselves? What kind of life is that? Church, I don't know. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God today, but I can tell you this. 
that I have tasted and I have seen. That I've tasted and seen that when I was alone that he was there to comfort me. That when I was lost that he saved me. That when I was addicted that he delivered me. That when I was in a deep pit, he lifted me out and he put my feet on a solid rock. That when I was depressed, that he gave me joy unspeakable. That when I was anxious, that he gave me peace unshakable. That when I couldn't see where to go, that he was the light at the end of the tunnel showing me the way. And when I was broke, that he made a way where there seemed to be no way. When others chose to speak evil and hurtful things about me, he put a new song in my mouth. And when I had no idea where I was going in life, he gave me a purpose so I could make a difference. And when I felt like no one loved or cared for me, he wrapped his arms all around me and he whispered in my ear, you are my beloved. You are my beloved. Church, that's my testimony. I've tasted it and seen. And that's why in my not yet seasons, I can be self-sacrificial and I can praise God. In my not yet seasons, I can lift my voice despite my personality. That in my not yet seasons, I can exalt God. In my not yet seasons, I can raise him above my problems. Because I've learned in my life through good choices and bad, that if I'm gonna rely on God's strength, then I have to get in to his presence. Would you bow your head with me today? Father, we, we come before you today first and foremost and we repent. We repent for making worship all about us. We repent for elevating our problems and our desires and hiding behind our comfort zone and our personality. Lord, we repent. Father, give us your perspective of our life, not ours. Lord, help us see our life through your eyes, not ours. And God, give us the courage to begin to take steps into unknown territory. The Father, what good is faith if we never have the courage to take a step? Lord, I pray that you would develop the courage inside of us to step into the seasons that you've called us to. And God, maybe our situation doesn't change, but Father, we are choosing today to shine our light, to emphasize you over our problems. With every head bowed and eye closed today, I wanna to speak. Maybe there's some of you that are here today or you watch it online. And you've been around God, you know about him, 
may even read your Bible sometimes, but you've never really tasted See, I can look at something by the way that it looks and I can form an opinion, positive or negative, but it's until I taste it that I see what it's all about. And I believe there are some people in this room today that God is inviting you into a new journey of relationship with him. It's not about checking off boxes, it's about tasting and seeing. With every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you today and you feel like God is inviting you, like David invited the men in this cave sitting on a rock to come and to taste and see it. If you, if you are sensing in this moment that God is inviting you on this deeper journey with him, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to just slip up your hand for a moment as a declaration to God that yes, I sense, I sense what you're stirring in me. And today I'm gonna take a courageous step towards you, God, and what you have for my life. Yeah. Yeah. If you raise your hand today, and church, just kind of follow along with us. I want you to just say this simple prayer. Father, I want to taste and see you are good. Come be the Lord of my life. Forgive me for doing life my way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.